for coming. My name is Amy Boss-Tenniger. I am one of the ministers at the Manhattan Church of Christ in New York City, but I am a Pepperdine girl, and I'm always happy to be back here. Um, we are, my, this is my mother, Sheila Bost, and we are doing a three-day panel looking at two churches that have changed from a traditional, what I would call a traditional patriarchal, hierarchical framework on gender of um, exclusive male leadership to churches that are egalitarian, that have opened the doors to women at all levels of leadership and fully through the life of the church. I, like I said, um, have been at the Manhattan Church of Christ for about 20 years and my mother has been at the Culver Palms Church of Christ for longer than that. <laughs> I was going like, to give numbers, but then I thought, well, let's just say since before I was born. So you can guess how long that's been. Um, and both of these churches in the last year have um, added women elders and have women participating in um, all areas of church life and throughout the service, uh, throughout the worship services. So we thought it would be interesting to just gather some people from these two congregations. Because the thing is, um, Churches of Christ are in a time of significant transition. Almost every person I talk to from a Church of Christ somewhere around the, the country, really around the globe, will tell me that their church is wrestling with the question of what God wants us to do about women. It's really pervasive. Most churches are wrestling with it. And some are wrestling really hard with each other to make sure no changes happen. But there's also a lot of churches that are feeling more and more burdened that changes need to be made. And many churches are realizing that very, very significant changes need to be made, but it's hard. And um, change is always scary. Religious change is really difficult. It's really difficult because we're dealing with very, very important matters. The only reason that we're in church every Sunday morning is because we believe it's really, really important. And so we're dealing with really important matters. And so when you're trying to entertain the idea of making big changes that are really important, it's hard. And you don't really know what's going to happen. And you don't really know how it's going to look. And so we need to share. We need to learn from other people who have walked the road ahead of us. We need to be able to envision what it might look like in our own context. And part of how we do that is hearing how it looks in another context. So that's what we're going to do for three days. We've just invited, we could have invited a couple hundred people to be on this panel and talk about their experience just from these two congregations. But we chose a handful of people and we're gonna be here at 3.15 uh, today, tomorrow and Friday, and we're gonna have different people up here each time. So in a minute, I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. We asked them to think about their experience being in a church that has made these significant changes from three perspectives. We asked them to think about, and, and not necessarily to talk about all of them, but to th think about the motivation for change. I, I, I'm a preacher type, and so I like um, three M's, so I'm gonna give you three M's. It's just easier, it's just easier to remember. Um, the motivation for change, why? Why make these changes? Why go through the difficult process of change? Motivation, the method, for changing? How do you do it? What do you do? How do you make these changes? And the third is the meaning. What has been the meaning? What, what has been the experienced meaning once the changes have been made? 
And that's the framework that we're working with, and we've really invited them to share whatever's on their heart as they think about the churches that they love, that they have been um, members of and laborers in for years. So this is going to be a great discussion. Um, let me think if there was anything else I wanted to cover that was important. I think that's, I think that's a, a pretty good introduction. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then my mom is going to share a little bit more, um, just telling you about our heart as we, as, as we came to this topic. So will you pray with me? Gracious and eternal God, we believe that you have brought us to this place. We believe that you're with us, that your spirit is in this room with us. And we believe that if we ask, you will answer us, that you will give us eyes to see and you will give us ears to hear. So we ask. We ask that you will open the eyes of our hearts, that we can see the work that you're doing, that we can hear the wind of your spirit blowing around us. We pray for courage. We pray for wisdom. We pray for truth. We pray for compassion. And we pray that we can be your instruments, that your kingdom will come on this earth through us. So we gather together courageously, asking for calmness in our spirits as some of us listen to things that make us uncomfortable and as others of us want to jump up and shout from the rafters. Give us calmness in our spirits and let us speak words of truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Amy, and thank you, Candace, that was in here just before. If you want to listen to a good sermon, listen to Candace. She was here just before us. You know, I just want to give you a little bit of date about me. I would stand up like Amy did, but I might fall. As she said, I was around a long time at Culver Palms, <laughs> and so I've been around a long time. So I'm just going to sit here and talk just a little bit. Academically, I just wanted you to know a little about me and where I'm coming from. Um, I went back when I was in my 50s to Fuller Theological School Seminary over on, in Pasadena. And I had to decide. I was there four years. The first year I just played and took every class I wanted and just audited them. And this one professor said to me, you know, you spent a lot of time on that paper. Are you sure you don't want a credit for this? And, I, you know, it just didn't sink into me. But I had to decide between theology and doing therapy. And I thought, you know, my husband's a, um, an elder in the church. Um, Culver is not allowing women to be ministers. I think I ought to go with being a therapist. So I'm a therapist to this day. I see a lot of, um, of my clients are Christians from all different churches here in Los Angeles. Probably about 75% of my practice are from Christians. So that's a little bit where I'm coming from academically. Tom, you want to raise your hand, honey? Um, he's been my partner for over 50 years now. <laughs> Not that, Tom. <laughs> Tom, there'll be all kinds of things, stories out there. Um, but he, we were at, when we came to Culver, we were in our 20s, we were young, and we were so blessed because Frank Pack, who was the chair of the Bible department at Pepperdine University, was our minister. And, oh, Culver Palms is on Venice Boulevard, between Overland and Robertson on the west side of Los Angeles. And uh, it's a very, it's been a very um, inclusive congregation as far as race, race since uh, 40 years. God just blessed us in that regard. So it's um, a lot of good things have happened there. Well, Frank, 
at probably about 70 or 71, said, I'm going to do a class on Sunday night about women in the church. I thought, what in the world is this about? And he said, and then at the end of the class, I'm going to close it, and everyone can ask questions. Well, so he started this class, and Frank taught us his he said that women could do anything men could do in the church. And I don't know if any of you here knew Frank or Della Pack. If you did, raise your hand. Okay, a few of you did. All right. Della Pack and I were by the back door of the church. Everyone had left. And she said, so Frank, darling, you're saying that women can serve communion? just like men. I thought, they've never talked about this. And, <laughs> and he said, well, yes, Della, of course they can. And that was just revolutionary to me. And I was a little unsettled with it. My husband took it, all those series of classes, and immediately went forward with it. But I, I did not. I was from a very conservative background. My parents, when I came to California, said, don't get involved in the tongues movement, Sheila. Just stay on the straight and narrow. <laughs> so that was where I was coming from. Um, but I just, it was, it was really something. But one Sunday, we had this class. And one of the people in the audience, the young people from Culver, we were young at that time, had been to the mountains for the weekend, and all, we had this open Bible class, and we all talked and things like that, and we thought it was great. It was our, we had communion together. It was great. We go back to that class that night. We're all feeling good, and one of the people that attended that sort of walked in that Sunday morning at our up in the mountains with us said to Frank, and I still remember, and he raised his hand and said, you realize that these young people were up there and women were participating in worship. And I still, to this day, I feel a lot of shame from that. I thought it was just such a horrible feeling that we had done something wrong. And Frank just looked at him and said, next question, and went right on. It was, and I, he never talked to us about it. None of the elders talked to us about it, nothing. It was a non-starter. Um, most importantly, Frank planted the seeds in my heart. It took me to 1990 with things happening in my life that I, I went back and studied the scriptures on my own I read lots of books, and for about two years, that is all that I did. And I decided that women could do anything, but I was angry. And in time, I've gotten through all that. But it was hard. Um, Tom and I, as I said, have been married 50 years, and 30 of those years, He's been an elder at Culver Palms Church of Christ. He stopped being an elder in um, December last year. Is that right, honey? Year, yeah. Year. Or the year before? Year okay, a year of December. Thank you, Vicenta. Um, but I, just remember. <laughs> I became an elder in August of this year. Now, is that sort of unusual? <laughs> I think it's pretty unusual. Um, I grew up at Culver with the idea that I didn't feel my, like my daughters were really encouraged to go into ministry or to, um, to leadership roles, but they, you know, but Amy did, and, you know, they have progressed that way. Uh, I did think my sons were encouraged, and they didn't go into ministry. They, but they do a lot of ministry as such. 
Um, to me, I think that I just didn't believe that these barriers aligned with what God has in store for us here. And I believe that, that God wants men and women, but women to, to really, to trust women to preach and to be elders and to give the message of the risen Christ like the women in the New Testament and like Mary Magdalene, the first evangelist. Women are gifted to be ministers, pastors, elders, shepherds, whatever name you want to give it. Women want to utilize their gifts, and we need to be courageous. We need especially all of you males in the audience to be courageous, because we women cannot do it. We need men to step up. This is what Tom Robinson, one of the first lessons I learned from him, men need to step up and do this. And I just encourage you to do so. Because we can say it, but it's not as powerful as when you men say, well, I want this woman to be a minister here. Um, so I go back to those scriptures about, I'm doing this because I want my, my daughters, my, the women and men to prophesy. I want my granddaughters to prophesy. I want them to hold the truths that this is so important, what, that everyone in the Church of Christ, that we are a priesthood of believers and that we all can serve God in all these different ways. The gospel is too great to just give to a handful of men. It needs to be the whole body. So that's where I'm coming from today. If you have any questions or think I'm not struck, you know, don't get it, come and talk to me after this. <laughs> Shall we go to Vicenta? And you can each just briefly introduce yourself okay. and then share what you'd like to share and then we'll have some discussion, we'll have some questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, my name is Vicenta Baeza Jacobs and I was born in Miami, Arizona to a family of, um, well, I, of eight children. We were raised Catholic. My parents had four sons and then four daughters, and I was the seventh child. I call myself lucky seven. You know, I had to do something with, a, with a seven siblings <laughs> to distinguish myself. And I married my, uh, I hate to say childhood, uh, I mean, sweetheart, but I did meet my husband in high school in Miami, Arizona, and we did marry uh, about five years later. And then we moved to LA from Arizona to, uh, for my husband to become a chiropractor. And so we've been at Culver Palms since 1974. And during that time, we have both worked really, really hard. Um, Sheila and I have been uh, pals in service. We've done just about everything conceivably, conceivably ex that women can do, uh, at least up until recently. So, um, um, as was mentioned, um, as I just mentioned, I grew up in a large Catholic family, a blessing for which I am still thankful. Around age seven, as I prepared for my Holy Communion, a priest was describing the Bible as the Word of God a message from the Almighty Creator Himself. That amazed and intrigued me. God the Father had something to say to me. However, the priest went on to say, a lay person cannot read and study the Bible without the help and interpretation of a priest or a bishop. I went home discouraged but I, I went home and opened a very large, ornate Catholic Bible and said, I'm going to read this book. 
Surely it was meant for everyone. I started reading a few verses in the middle of the Bible, really large Bible in the middle, probably Ezekiel or Jeremiah, and said, well, I guess he's right. I cannot understand the Bible. <laughs> but I paused a moment before I closed it, and I prayed a childlike prayer. I, pr I prayed, someday I hope I can read and understand the Bible. Fast forward to my first job out of college in Tempe, Arizona. God had orchestrated my working with an amazing woman who after a few conversations with me said, you need to know Jesus better and the Bible will help you do that. I said, no, I do not know how to study the Bible. She answered quickly, anyone can read and study and understand God's word. That is why he gave it to us. We studied and when I heard about baptism, I said, I'm ready, let's do it tonight. I wanted to be a new creation. I needed a fresh start, and I loved that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were my teachers. And then the church, it was the people. It belonged to the people. I could contribute to the work using my gifts, which God led me to discover and use. My friends and family would describe me as an intense, driven individual eight on the Enneagram. <clears throat> and that is how I used my gifts in my beloved church family for the past 45 years. Honestly, it has been mostly great. To be used for God's purpose is rewarding. Several years ago, our elders made the decision to nominate deacons and including women could be nominated. And I was given the opportunity to uh, serve as a deacon, to be confirmed. I was conflicted. It was not something I wanted. It was not something I had asked for. But it might be the right thing to do, so I agreed. Literally, the morning that we were going to be confirmed, I woke up <laughs> a bit in terror. I dressed up really nicely, and I put on makeup, which I don't always do, and I thought, well, let's see what happens this morning. <laughs> I was ready. I was ready to meet God and apologize because I just was not sure that it was the right thing to do. But sure enough, I lived through it, and, and, it was, and I, at the end of it, I was good. I was good. I could understand it. So, over a year ago, our elders made the decision that every member of our church family, male or female, could be nominated to be a shepherd or elder. I received many nominations. Once again, I was very conflicted. It was not one of my goals. This time, it took more studying and more praying and more outside counsel. I really, really wrestled with it. But one morning, the Holy Spirit, really after a, sleep, a sleepless night, one morning the Holy Spirit made it clear that in spite of my doubts and fears, I was to say yes. God laughingly said, I'm not kidding, I have been preparing you for this all of your life. It's been one of the most difficult changes I've ever encountered but it's been the right thing to do. I've learned to trust God from the gut. It's not gotten easier quickly, so I'm learning patience. I can see that I need to expand my teaching and learning circles, and that has been humbling. God has sent me comforters, many comforters, and that has been so encouraging. So I am excited to be here today to share and listen and learn. Change is challenging, and that's why it takes us so long to do it. I'm here today to be a help, but I also hope to be helped. We're in it together.
Um, my name is Elizabeth Smith. I am an assistant professor of communication here at Pepperdine. I also advise the graphic, the student newspaper here, um, which you'll see around campus this week too. Um, I'm a member at Culver Palms Church of Christ, so I'm really, really profoundly blessed to be a part of a congregation that is in part being led by um, Sheila and Vicenta, and that was very moving to listen to that testimony. Um, when Amy asked us to um, think through what we wanted to share with you guys briefly today, um, and I think Sheila mentioned this, the thing that kept coming to my mind is planting the seeds and how I have seen the seeds planted throughout my life, even when I didn't know that these were the seeds that were being planted. So um, I'll just touch on a couple of different seed plantings that happened for me. Um, I grew up in a military family, so we moved at least every two years, um, and I have been in the Church of Christ my whole life. So the Church of Christ was always where my family, a Church of Christ was always where my family would plug in first. Literally, we would get to town, the first thing my dad would do was pull out the phone book, find the local Church of Christ, and that became our community. So the Church of Christ, in many ways, um, is my tribe, deeply. Um, they are the Church of Christ is as much a part of my childhood and my life as any other community that I've ever been a part of. Um, so one of the Churches of Christ that I went to was Canyon View Church of Christ. That's where I went to high school in San Diego, so just a couple of hours down the road. And it was not egalitarian in any way. Women did not participate at all in worship service. Um, but we were going through a transition. We were looking for a new youth minister. We had had some issues, and I felt like I had a strong opinion. I was 16. I knew that I couldn't ever um, be welcomed into an elders meeting, but I wrote out a letter. I typed it out on our word processor because we did not have a computer yet, and I put it in each of the elders' mailboxes in the church office, and I really didn't think much of it after that. And the next week in worship, one of our elders, Tom Esslinger, read my church to the assembly, or read my letter to the assembly. And my parents, I think, were completely mortified because he read it word for word. And I was like a deer in headlights, I think, because I wasn't expecting it. But that was the first time when I realized what I had to say mattered in the assembly. Before that, I knew that I was expected to help in the nursery. I knew that I was expected to help be a camp counselor. I knew my mom helped with all of the potlucks. I had no interest in doing that. Um, but that was the first time that my words were heard and they mattered. And I don't think that he, w I know he wasn't pushing for egalitarianism, um, but he valued my individual thoughts and words and shared them. And it made a profound impact on me. Um, and he recently passed away, and that was shared at his funeral. Um, he, was, he ended up as an elder in, in a church in um, Fort Worth. Um, so I call that just sowing the seeds of realization. It was a moment. I can still remember everything I was wearing, what the church looked like, who was sitting in front of me. And I didn't know that that would mean anything to me later, but it was profound for me. Um, then I went to Harding University. Probably a bunch of you guys did too. And I call this, there were many positive things that came out of it, but this was where I sowed the seeds of discontent. I was never more aware of the limitations of, that others had put on my gender than at Harding. I was not just not allowed to participate in the worship, but I was also expected to wear a dress. I was not only not allowed to participate in the worship, but in some cases, at a church that I went to, I was expected to sit in certain places. And it didn't make sense to me on any level. But I knew that I would stay, and I knew I would continue the course, because this was my tribe. But I've never felt more disconnected from who I knew I was, who my parents nurtured me to be, who my educational system nurtured me to be, I knew the gifts that God had given me, and I knew they had no place in that culture. After um, I graduated from Harding, I took my first job as a reporter in Newport, Rhode Island. Very different. Um, so I moved to New England 
and I went to a very small Church of Christ there in Warwick, Rhode Island. And this is where I call sowing the seeds of practicality. There was maybe 30 people on a Sunday morning, and on a Sunday night, maybe five. And they were very conservative, but practical. So if they needed a song leader, and there was one man and four women, a woman would lead singing. Singing is not my gift, but I led singing many times. <laughs> I passed the Sunday night communion trays many times, and it started to occur to me that the, the ceiling did not fall in, um, that no one, actually really, no one actually really seemed bothered by it at all because it was what we needed to do to get the worship service accomplished. Um, and that also had a profound effect on me. That was not the intention of of what they were trying to do. They were trying to have a worship service that they could welcome the community into, and I was very grateful to be a part of that um, congregation. After I left Rhode Island, I moved here for grad school here at Pepperdine. Um, a year after I started grad school, I went to, to um, church on campus for a year, and then I started going to Culver Palms, so that was about 17 years ago, um, and loved it. I knew it was a community like none other that I had ever plugged in with. It was very special. The fabric of Culver felt very different to me than anywhere else. Um, and a couple of years into it, <clears throat> we were having a food drive for a local, food or, a local organization called food, Fled on, food on Foot. And everybody was bringing in food, and we were all going to walk or drive the food over and, as a church and donate it, really feeding um, the hungry, taking that scripture to heart. And I was asked to give a sermonette. I think the et was because I was a woman. Um, so you were going to be a preacherette. Yeah, I was, I was going to be a preacherette. <laughs> um, and I was so nervous. I stayed up. The, they gave me the, the passage they wanted me to speak on. Um, Paul, uh, Sheila's son, was one. He, I don't know if his was a sermonette, but he was the, one of the other speakers. And Adam Willis was one of the others. So the three of us each did um, a scripture that related to this food drive. And my sermonette, I think, lasted maybe 10 minutes, maybe less. <clears throat> and I stayed up all night preparing. I was so nervous. And when I walked off the, the stage, Sheila pulled me aside and said, you are good at this. And no one had ever said that in that context to me before. And so that was really the seeds of revelation that continued to reveal themselves to me at Culver and through my experiences there. Um, we worked very hard to have not a sermonette, but a sermon um, by a woman, and she's in here, um, Harmony, and she was the first woman to preach at Culver to do a full sermon at Culver, and it, in my naive head, I really thought, well, okay, we're done, like, it's all good, we're going to have female elders, female deacons, we're there, and that, I didn't realize how tightly that door was still closed, so there were a couple of process, and these are over more than, you know, my involvement, certainly more than 15 years, but for Sheila and Vicenta and Amy, much longer at Culver. Um, we started just, the, those of us who were like-minded on this topic, just started asking people directly, how do you feel about this topic? How do you feel about women's involvement in the leadership, in the worship service? And we would start to write down the names of people who were affirming of an egalitarian worship and leadership. Um, and then we started to write letters. Can we add your name to this letter? And we had many no's. Or many, many people who said, I do, but I don't want my name on the letter. Uh, and that's okay, right? We kept writing, we kept asking. We sat in many, and I'm going to be really honest, very awful elder meetings where respect was not really the spirit of the conversation, and that's not to call any of our elders on the carpet, but these are difficult conversations to have, and, and know that going into it. This is people's culture, their lives, their belief systems that we're calling into question um, and asking for change, and so the, there were a series over years of these elders' meetings, um, us asking for what they perceived to be more, what we saw to be whole. Um, and that happened. But I will tell you, I think the thing, and it came at the very end, the year before Sheila and Vicenta were 
affirmed as shepherds of our congregation. Um, we just, Sheila called a meeting at her house, it was a brunch, and she just called like-minded people from all over this area, and we said, what are we gonna do? And we formed a group called the Southern California Egalitarian Worship Project. And we were intentional about the name project. We didn't want it to be a worship service. We didn't know what it would really end up being. And for a year, every six weeks, we would hold a worship service where men and women participated, but we intentionally tried to highlight the gifts of women. We ended up mostly having it at St. Aidan's here in Malibu. They were very supportive of the work and lent us the building. Um, we also had it in a school, a school in Calabasas. And within a year, every church that had representation in that project had made significant changes, whether it was allowing a woman to preach um, on a Sunday morning, affirming women as elders. Um, and I do think there was a, we're just tired of asking, so we're just gonna go do it on our own. We weren't leaving our church and we made it very clear that wasn't the intention, we were gonna stay, but that if change was gonna happen, we, we wanted to see it happen, we were just gonna start doing it. Um, and I will say this, I'm so happy that we have female shepherds, but I do not think the work is done. Um, I now see this whole, I won't call it the women's issue. I think language is really important. Don't call it that. It's a kingdom issue. Um, but I will say this, I really see it so differently now. It's not, a, it is in a practical, those seeds of practicality. It is about women being fully inclusive and included but it's about individual gifts and what this kingdom is supposed to do. And so I see that we are still lopsided in, in tra very traditional ways, even at Culver, and there's work to be done. And that work transcends the building, at, right, and just our body. Um, so that's, that's our story, that's my story. Um, which of these things is not like the others? <laughs> um, it's, we're have, it's mixed groups each day. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> My name's Tom Robinson, and I'm the minister of the Manhattan Church of Christ in New York City, and I am the son of a small-town Church of Christ preacher and, uh, and his wife, who was a full-time worker for the church, though she didn't get paid. And... Um, and I have a scar on my forehead from falling down the church steps when I was two years old. So I bear in my body the marks of the church. Um, I was uh, uh, just a, a few very general markers. I, I uh, began preaching. Um, well, it's coming up on 55 years ago uh, in the little town of Voca, Texas, um, just at the end of my freshman year in college. So I'm an old guy here. And I've been an elder at the Manhattan Church of Christ for, for 25 years. I've been the senior minister for 22 years. And um, before I was uh, the minister at the Manhattan Church of Christ, I was on the faculty of New Testament at uh, Union Theological Seminary in, in New York. Um, I don't know what to say in, in this situation because there is just so, um, so much. The thing, thing, I was thinking about it, the thing that I want to say and as a general kind of word is if you are thinking about this and you're feeling all the struggle and pain, know that at the end of the process or it's somewhere in the middle of the process as you were talking about, there is tremendous blessing. I can't tell you how blessed our congregation has been to have women fully included in leading worship, which has gone on for quite a number of years. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of, of really starting the, the, the process and eight, 17 or 18 years of having women fully incorporated in leading worship and so forth. And, um, and then the, the process has only recently kicked over to the point of having women elders in our congregation. But the whole thing has brought such a blessing. I don't think there's anyone in our congregation who could even imagine going back to any other way. And so I want to just start with a word of encouragement for you. 
I know it can be really uh, difficult along the way, but it is an amazingly good thing. Blessed, I truly believe, blessed by God. I'm, I, you know, I'm a preacher, and I believe in uh, in our theology. I truly believe that God is involved in these things, and part of it, in the pain of it, is part of the the discipline that we face because we have been so backward. In, uh, in accomplishing these things and, and so forth. Um, we, we have a powerful tradition in the churches of Christ of being oriented toward the, the New Testament, of wanting to restore New Testament Christianity, and I believe in that. I believe in restoring the New Testament and all of its amazing diversity and power and challenge and all of that. We need people who are willing to take on the challenge of reading the New Testament dealing with the with texts that are that are challenging and problematic because we're never going to really be good about about these things if we think that we're sort of sneaking something by on God um, you know that God really says that for women need to not do anything but we're going to do it anyway and uh, the, the, you have, there's these yellow handouts that are all over the place. I, I didn't realize there were going to be this many people, or I would have brought twice as many of them. I uh, brought about 135 of them, and they're, they're out of, uh, here. The, the, I, I just hope you'll read it. I, you know, I, it's, it's a piece of, of interpretive work reading, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 36. And, uh, and I... I really uh, hope it will uh, be helpful, and it's a vision of why it is it, we've gotten that text so wrong uh, for so, by so many people for so long, and uh, what it really meant in, in, its, uh, in its context. And I, we obviously don't have time to, to go into all of that, but I wanted to, to give uh, something out uh, here to, to stimulate your thought and uh, somewhere else along the week, if you want to ask uh, any questions about any of it, I'd be uh, perfectly happy to uh, discuss uh, more of it. But it is important for us to to um, to engage in that process. It's been something that, because my training has been in New Testament studies, it's been, and I'm a uh, devoted lover of the Bible. I. Um, I, it's been part of really what has mattered so much to me that we need to learn to read the Bible, read the New Testament, especially for churches of Christ, better. And uh, and it doesn't. It's not just to do with the issue of women. That's just one of many things that we have that we've had this dynamic and powerful theology and understanding of Scripture that could be dynamic and powerful, but the ways in which we have have um, limited ourselves with a kind of orientation toward looking toward laws in the scriptures has really, uh, and patterns and so forth, has really hampered us in, in having the kind of powerful understanding of God's work that, that we ought to have in, in, the, uh, in, our, in our worship, in our, in our thinking, and in our life together. And so it's been my uh, aim in, in the work that I've done at the Manhattan Church, uh, beginning from the time that I first moved to, to New York uh, some just about 40 years ago, and, and uh, was teaching at Union Theological Seminary to help in reading those texts, thinking about them, and so forth. It was a long process, and we uh, only came to... Finally, making a real change in uh, in the practice of the church in January of of the year 2000 seemed an appropriate time uh, at that point. Um, there, there are a lot. As I said, there are lots of other other things, but I don't want to take up all the time. Uh, just uh, to um, to go into all of these things, but let me let me just say something because I want to say how serious, I think, uh, this is. I, there are lots of issues that, that work in the church, you know, things like instrumental music and all, all sorts of things. And we've, in, in our own history, we've had a lot of things that we've divided over. Our unity movement has been very, <laughs> as all everybody knows, has, has divided up into lots of groups and so forth. I don't think there are any of them that are as important, uh, very few of them, let me just say that, that are as important as, as this. Um, and it's not just 
the, a problem for Churches of Christ. It's something that, that hits all churches and goes back deeply into the translation, the King James translation and so forth. A lot of things that have affected all the churches all along. And, um, and we, we really need to think very seriously about it. We've talked up here uh, in, in a lot of the statements about the gifts of women. <clears throat> Excuse me. The gifts of women, gifts of men, and so forth. But those gifts in, within our understanding are not just sort of, oh, it's a talent that somebody has. We're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is God, the God of the universe who created this whole thing and, uh, and lives among us and in the community. And if we are talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit in various forms, all kinds of forms. And, um, and so whenever we're talking about these gifts being used in the community, we are talking about whether we are blocking God from allowing the gifts that he gives to his people to be manifested in, in the community and to be used in the community. And I, I don't think we have the kind of seriousness about, uh, about all of that that, that we, we need to have. God gives gifts to both men and women. It's clear. You know, once, once you allow, allow the gifts to be used, they are there powerfully. That's, that's why it's been such a blessing for us and our congregation. But we don't we don't take into our emotions and into our theology and into our understanding what it means for us to, to as, a, as a church, to be blocking God in his own church. And um, so, not to put too fine a point on it, I truly believe the church, churches of Christ, a lot of other churches as well, need to stop sinning. Uh, sinning against God and against the, what God does, ha, is doing, and has done in his, uh, in his, in, uh, among his people. And I hope that you will think about it in, in serious terms. Oh, I'm very much in favor of being exceedingly pastoral with congregations, as working hard to have everybody understand and to get everybody on board, have every single one of those teaching moments, those conversations, everything, over and over and over again. There's, you know, teach it every way. But ultimately, one has to come to a conviction about what it is that's actually going on in this in relationship to God. And then to, um, and then to decide of what, what the right thing to do is. Confident that God will bless it if we do it. And I, I want to bear testimony that God indeed does bless it. And so I just want to um, offer my encouragement as well as my challenge to you, uh, to uh, every one of you who is thinking about these things, to not, not just to think that, oh, well, we'll get around to it. It'll eventually come about this, that, or the other. This is, this is serious business if you believe that God is serious. And so, um, so I really want to encourage you and challenge you and all that. So I'd like to take a second. Um, some of you who are in here and some of us who are up here were, were here for the session before when Candace uh, just shared a, her story, beautiful testimony and uh, sermon presentation, but talked about the churches, her experience in churches that have made changes and people have left. And I imagine that if you are in here and you're thinking about, wow, if we make these changes in our church, people are going to leave, or what if people leave? I'd just like to ask you, what, do you, what would you say to that? What do you say to this idea of these are people we love, communities we value, and we're talking about changes that would perhaps cause people to leave? Who would like to respond to that? That was something that we talked about a lot at Culver. What does it mean to be unified? I don't think unity means we agree on everything. 
Um, I don't think that's the spirit of unity that we see in the New Testament. Um, my, my response is, but who will come and who stays? People might leave and find another congregation where they feel better worshiping, but who comes and stays if we make this bold step? So, so that, yeah. You know, I just want to add on to that. Tom and I were at a wedding not too long ago, and a couple came up, uh, well, this man that we knew from way back that used to be here at Pepperdine, and he said, hi, how are you doing? And Tom was talking to him by himself, and, he's, and somehow he told this guy that I was an elder at Culver. This man went over and got his wife and said, I want you to hear Sheila, She's now an elder at Culver Palms. And this family, they never went to Culver, but they left the Church of Christ. They were people that left because they were tired of waiting on this. And I think that we have to look at it both ways. As an elder, I mean, we're, we're fearful our budget will, we won't make budget. We're fearful for a number of different things, but we, as Tom says, we have to do what we think is what God calls us to do. And that's what, and those are hard decisions. You really want to reach out to people, but I think you have to do what you think God wants you to do. There are these powerful scriptures, especially in 1 Corinthians and somewhat in Romans, where, where Paul talks about, you know, that he, if, if it's going to cause someone to fall, if it's going to destroy their conscience, um, I won't eat meat for the rest of my life. You know, I, if you're doing something that destroys someone for whom Christ died, that is a really important thing um, and a terrible thing to do. And, and I think we, we really have to take that very seriously. But it is my experience, um, and I think, I, I think you'd probably find it too, that in almost, in, uh, almost never in these situations are people offended uh, to the point that they lose their relationship with God or they lose their relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're causing them to fall. Almost always, if, if they depart, it's because they believe that they are more correct, more righteous, and they go a place where they can practice that. And as we think about the, the church as a whole, that's fine. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want anyone to leave. I want to put in all the time that I can to try to keep, keep unified. But there are all kinds of people who don't come to our congregation because they disagree with this or that or the other. They don't understand, don't believe in the way that we believe about, about Jesus Christ or about the authority of the Bible or a whole lot of different things. There, but, but that we, we need to be true to the, to the gospel and to what the implications of the gospel are and struggle as best as we can to, to live that out. We want to keep unity. Absolutely. We want to help people to deal with their fears. We want to help people deal with their misunderstandings or their understandings or whatever it is around, around Scripture. But if God calls them to go to some other place, uh, you know, and they continue on in their faith in Jesus Christ, I will pray for them. I think that's, that's great. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll find greater blessing in another place. We are certainly not the only place in the world where the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and, and where people can be true to following their calling uh, for God. But, we, but we, are, we deeply hurt ourselves if we are false to our own understanding of what the New Testament and what the gospel teaches us to be. And, it's, and what we are proclaiming is who we think God is by the way in which we include uh, those that were created in his image and to whom the Holy Spirit has given gifts, or we do not include them and do not allow those gifts of the Holy Spirit to be used in, uh, in our worship. And so it, it's, it's not, you know, whether they can be saved, it's whether I can be saved if I block off the, the, spirit, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit of God in my sisters and brothers in the, in the, the congregation. Uh, you know, someone tells uh, a girl that she can't 
can't do this, that, or the other. Somebody needs to tell that person that they are putting themselves and their own salvation at risk by, by opposing the, and quenching the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, one needs to take it to that level. It's not just a matter of, uh, you know, is it convenient or do we like it or whatever. We're, we're talking about something that is deeply uh, serious as far as, the, as our theology. Who is the God that we worship? So as I've listened to all four of you talk, um, what I find interesting is a thread of um, talking about obedience. Like, what does it mean to be obedient to God? And I think a lot of times when we hear that, we hear it from a standpoint of, you know, God has a bunch of rules and we need to follow the rules. And probably the rules would include, you know, the church looking a very specific way. Um, but this is putting obedience in a different context. It's obeying the call of the, of the Spirit of God. And especially, you know, Vicenta, as you talked about, your own journey of not planning. And you're a planner. And not planning this at all. Never planned to be an elder. Never planned to be a deacon. You became a Christian and God continued to call you to do things that you never expected to do. And you responded in obedience. And I didn't want to use that word because <laughs> it's not a popular word. I yeah, I don't thought, like it. I don't like that yeah, word. I mean, I, I like it with thought, my children. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah. I don't know if I like it with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Well, yeah, because that's what it boiled down to. It, when I was nominated as a deacon, that's what it boiled down to. I, it sounds silly now, but I was, I was scared. I was scared that I was choosing to do the wrong thing. And yet God showed me that, that I was to obey this call and 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 so i went on that side i just said okay i'm going to be obedient and i you know i, I think i'm hearing it right and then I've really really to be a shepherd was another whole step altogether and it just boiled down to being to being obedient to the holy spirit yeah yeah and then um you know tom what you're saying is that it's quenching the spirit of God is dangerous business. That if God is calling us to break down these barriers and if God is gifting people, all different types of people to not only serve the church, but to serve the church in a broader sense, meaning to be a part of this kingdom breaking through we need to be careful if we're standing in the way we need to go back and really look at jesus the way jesus treats every single person honors them uh takes them where they are and empowers them men women all kinds of people compare the way in which Jesus talks to Nicodemus and the way in which he talks to the woman with the well. It's sort of a classic with that. But then also, as you come on good Acts 2 basis, you know, uh, remember that the very first scripture that's quoted about what's going on is the, that God pours out his spirit on all flesh and all will prophesy. And your sons will prophesy, right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And the slaves are going to prophesy, but we're not just talking about, we're talking about maidservants and men servants are both going to prophesy. It's, it's like he goes out of his way to nail it down for us. And, and now, I, I don't underestimate the difficulties that we've had about these passages of Scripture that have stood as kind of the walls of blocking them. But we need to work through, work through those things to get 
to those fundamental visions, how Jesus deals with people and what the, the call of the Spirit is as, the, as this kingdom of God breaks in. Anyone else want to say any last-minute things? Okay, we're at, our time is just about up. Um, James, uh, James Weiser, somewhere in here, said at the beginning that there are a lot more people in here than in the session on why the Church of Christ is dying. So I think that's a really good sign. And I, I think that God is not done with Amen. this tradition of people. I think that um, there's a lot of work to be done out there in the world. And I think God wants to use us. I think that our heritage brings very unique gifts. But we need to move forward. We need to figure out how to move through these complicated, difficult issues and move forward so that we can really bring the light of Christ into a world that's deeply, deeply in need. So thank you for coming today. Please come back. We're going to have different people up here in the next two days. And um, grab these people and talk to them afterwards. And before you go, let's just say... Um, and now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to God's power that is at work within us, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.